Hey there, friends. It's Lucifer Means Lightbringer, and today we're going to answer two questions about the future plot of A Song of Ice and Fire. Number one, what is the actual narrative purpose of the dastardly, yet somewhat comical, Edgelord Supreme known as Sir Gerald Darkstar Dane? And two, will we see the ancestral sword of House Dane, the legendary blade called Dawn, come out to play before the end of the story? Unraveling the first question turns out to lead to the answer of the second question, so let's get started. But first, I want to wish a huge Moon Meteor size thank you to everyone supporting Mythical Astronomy via a monthly Patreon pledge or through a one-time donation at paypal.me slash mythicalastronomy. The links to support the channel are in the description below. And oh look, there's a like button and a subscribe button. Oh, and a little bell to press. And we're going to make sure it's set to all so we don't miss anything. And ah, that feels better. Sir Gerald Dane appears in only one chapter in the series, and in between peacocking, trolling, and griping about Arthur Dane, he actually plays a pivotal role in the events. I'm talking about the Arion Martell chapter of A Feast for Crows, where Arion's plot to start a war with the Lannisters by marrying Marcella Lannister to Tristane Martell and declaring her Queen of Westeros comes to a sudden end at the end of Ario Hota's enormous steel axe, as well as Darkstar's blade. If you recall, Ario easily beheads a charging Ari's Oakheart of the Kingsguard and takes Arion into custody, while Darkstar, on the other hand, apparently makes a sudden attempt to kill Marcella, succeeding only in wounding her face and cutting off her ear whereupon he flees into the Dornish desert like the scoundrel he is. Then, in A Dance with Dragons, we hear a bit more about Darkstar from the lips of Dorn Martell. Sir Balin is a guest beneath my roof. He has eaten of my bread and salt. I will do him no harm. No, we will travel to the Water Gardens, where he will hear Marcella's story and send a raven to his queen. The girl will ask him to hunt down the man who hurt her. If he's the man I judge, Swan will not be able to refuse. Obara, you will lead him to High Hermitage to beard Darkstar in his den. Alright, so Darkstar has possibly provoked a war and now has fled back to his home in the Red Mountains. He's probably going to have a nasty and thrilling fight with Balan Swan and maybe Obara, although I can't help but notice that Obara and Darkstar have very similar ideas about provoking bloody war with the Lannisters, so maybe there's some common ground there. Doran Martell famously calls Darkstar the most dangerous man in Dorne, and Sir Gerald has certainly thrown a wrench into Doran's plans. Darkstar is the straw that stirs the drink down in Dorne, more or less. But I don't think that's the reason that George added his character to the story in A Feast for Crows. The reason that Darkstar was added to the story was so that he could steal Dawn. I first realized that Darkstar was going to steal Dawn when I started asking the question, will we ever see Dawn come out to play? I was thinking about that in conjunction with a little something called the five-year gap and how that affects the role of the two Danes that we see in the current story, Darkstar and young Sir Edric Dane, Lord of Starfall. What is the five-year gap, you ask? Well, after writing A Storm of Swords, the third book in the series, George R.R. R. Martin originally planned to have a five-year time jump in between Storm and the fourth book, during which time the main characters would age up and level up, with the fourth book picking up with the older characters and filling the reader in on the events of the five-year gap through flashback. Apparently it didn't work out though, and so George scrapped the planned five-year gap and decided to pick up the story in A Feast for Crows right where he left off chronologically in A Storm of Swords. By the way, that's the reason why some of the characters are seemingly very young as the story reaches its climax. Originally, Arya and Bran and Daenerys and all the rest would have been five years older at the end of the story. 
The same is true for the valiant young Edric Dane, also known as Ned Dane, whom Arya finds serving honorably and faithfully as squire to Lord Beric Dondarrion in the third book, A Storm of Swords. Ned Dane is only about 13 in Storm, but think about what kind of figure he would have been post-five-year gap. At 13, he's already fighting bravely with Beric's men in real battles. He's getting to know and even taking up the struggle of the common people. And he's being exposed to the power of magic as he watches Beric die and get resurrected time after time. If you're lost, you can look and you will find me. Of course, Ned Dane is also the Lord of Starfall, that's right, so he's the heir to a certain amount of political power and prestige. And maybe just maybe, the famous magic sword Dawn? The world of ice and fire tells us that. Though many houses have their heirloom swords, they mostly pass the blades down from lord to lord. Some, such as the Corbrays have done, may lend the blade to a son or brother for his lifetime, only to have it returned to the lord. But that is not the way of House Dane. The Wielder of Dawn is always given the title Sword of the Morning, and only a knight of House Dane who is deemed worthy can carry it. In other words, the 18-year-old Edric Dane, who would have appeared on the pages of A Feast for Crows before Martin scrapped the planned five-year gap, very well could have been an ideal candidate to be named the Sword of the Morning. He would have been both skilled and worthy, having proven both his prowess in battle and his character by defending the small folk from the ravages of Tywin Lannister's dogs, Gregor Clegane and Amory Lorch. The people of Starfall, and who knows who else, might see Edric's deeds as an echo of the deeds of Sir Arthur Dane when he defended the small folk from the Kingswood Brotherhood while also representing their interests to the crown. A worthy knight of House Dane indeed. Edric's experience with magic, specifically the very interesting trifecta of relorist fire magic, raising the dead, and flaming swords, would seem to make him even more qualified to wield the magic sword Dawn as the last battle with the others draws nigh. I bet he would have been pretty hot too, and the fandom would have shipped him and everything. Forget Gendria, it would have been Edria, or if you prefer, Gendric. That fanfic has to be called the Hammer and the Blade, by the way, and that's free. But alas, the five-year gap was scrapped. Ned is too young to ship or be named Sword of the Morning, and Dawn is simply far too big and heavy for him to lift. But then in A Feast for Crows, Sir Gerald Darkstar Dane more or less rides out of the thin air of the Dornish Desert and onto the pages of the story. We've never heard Sir Gerald's name dropped anywhere in the first three books, so this is an entirely new character that George invented while writing Feast, and that's quite telling. George has said that the sword Dawn is in fact in Starfall, not in the Stark Crypts or anywhere else, and that it's waiting, quote, for a new sword of the morning to rise. An 18-year-old Edric Dane probably would have been that person, but now that he's stuck, if you will, at age 13 or 14 for the rest of the story without the five-year gap, George has fashioned another Dane from whole cloth, one who is old enough, strong enough, and skilled enough to wield Dawn. There's just one problem, though. Darkstar is distinctly unworthy in terms of character, and that was before he cut off a little girl's ear. Yeah. He's certainly not about to be named Sword of the Morning by the Elder Committee of Starfall or whomever makes those decisions. I am, of course, proposing that Darkstar will steal Dawn, which I think seems more in line with his character and his bitter grudge against Arthur Dane. Sir Gerald went to one knee. The moonlight shone in his dark eyes as he studied the child coolly. There was an Arthur Dane, Marcella said. He was a knight of the Kingsguard in the days of Mad King Ares. He was the Sword of the Morning. He is dead. Are you the Sword of the Morning now? No. Men call me Darkstar, and I am of the night. Ariane drew the child away. 
As she led the princess to the fire, Arion found Sir Gerald behind her. My house goes back 10,000 years, and to the dawn of days, he complained. Why is it that my cousin is the only Dane that anyone remembers? He was a great knight, Sir Ari Zokhart put in. He had a great sword, Darkstar said, and a great heart. Dawn is a great sword made from the heart of a fallen star, while Darkstar is a fallen, dark-hearted scoundrel with an inferiority complex. As you can see, stealing Dawn would fit with Sir Gerald's character, and after trying to kill Marcella, he's basically now gone full rebel to the law. He's an outlaw knight with a mountain fastness, vague and fiendish motives, and a stated lust for the sword Dawn. But how can we know that he will steal Dawn? Well, ask yourself this. How could the fiendish Darkstar replace the potential narrative role that a valiant 18-year-old Edric Dane was supposed to play? They're opposite types of people, so what narrative role is it that could be just as easily handed to Darkstar or an older Edric? Well, I think the answer is that the primary original purpose of Edric Dane was to be named Sword of the Morning and Wield Dawn in battle, only to be killed so that one of the primary characters, almost certainly Jon Snow, can use it in the final battle against the others. Because think about it, Ned Dane is great and all, and if we had him for a couple more books, I'm sure we'd grow attached to him. But he's not a main character, or even a secondary character. He doesn't get a POV, and he only appears briefly in a couple of Arya chapters. It simply wouldn't make sense to see him leading the fight against the others with Dawn. I mean, that's a job for Jon and Daenerys. But if we are ever to see Dawn in action, it does need to be brought out of Starfall somehow. If Ned Dane were to be named Sword of the Morning and then joined the heroes in the fight against the others when the call went out, and remember he's familiar with the existence of flaming swords, the undead, and fire magic, then Dawn would have been up at the wall where someone like Jon could have picked it up and used it. Or perhaps George was planning to have Ned Dane die earlier in the south, with the sword then traveling north to find Jon some other way. Point is, Ned isn't a primary enough character to wield Dawn in the last battle. But he did seem like he was on track to be named Sword of the Morning when A Storm of Swords ended, which would have accomplished the task of getting Dawn out of Starfall and into the fray. And if that's the job, get Dawn out of Starfall and then die and cough up the sword, well, then Darkstar can do that just as easily. In fact, that's pretty much the only role I can think of that could be played by either Darkstar or Edric. And it would make a lot of sense for George to be looking to create a way for Dawn to emerge in time for the battle with the others, doesn't it? And if you think about it, it would have been kind of lame of George if he had just invented another dashing, worthy knight of House Dane who's just a few years older than Edric to do the job. Coming up with Darkstar was a creative way to accomplish the same purpose without duplicating the character of Edric, it seems to me. Better yet, there's already a ready-made narrative context for Darkstar to steal Dawn that makes a ton of sense, given where George has taken the story by the end of A Dance with Dragons. In many ways, Darkstar is like a fallen and corrupted version of Arthur Dane, a cheap imitation, if you will. He's a great fighter, seemingly, but doesn't have the great heart that Arthur was thought to have. Here's the thing, though. Arthur Dane was best buds with Rhaegar Targaryen. And wouldn't you know it? A Dance with Dragons has delivered unto us a cheap imitation of Rhaegar to go along with our fake Arthur Dane. I'm speaking, of course, of Phaegon, sometimes known as Young Griff, and sometimes passed off as Aegon VI Targaryen, the son of Rhaegar and Elia of Dorne, who was thought killed by the mountain in the sack of King's Landing 17 years before the main story. We don't have time to explain why Phaegon is definitely not Aegon VI, son of Rhaegar, but likely a Blackfire related to Illyrio and perhaps Varys as well, but feel free to dig into that research on your own, as it's pretty interesting. I am certainly well convinced that Young Griff is in fact fake, 
hence the name Phaegon, as I really don't see any other possible interpretation of Dany's House of the Undying Dream, where she's called the Slayer of Lies and then sees the Mummer's Dragon. Danny explains at one point that a mummer's dragon is essentially a villain that's trotted out for the hero to fight. And of course, Phagon is actually controlled by two former mummers, Varys and Illyrio. Anyway, it's pretty easy to see that Phagon is headed towards King's Landing and the Iron Throne, with very little in his way to stop him. As of the second Aryan Martell early release Winds of Winter chapter, mild spoiler alert, it seems that Phagon's armies have already taken Storm's End, and King's Landing, which is not far away, is woefully underprepared to resist him. Phaegon is well on his way to being named King Phaegon, in other words, and King Phaegon will need a Kingsguard. A solid man and true, Connington thought as he watched Duck dismount, but not worthy of the Kingsguard. He had tried his best to dissuade the prince from giving Duckfield that cloak, pointing out that the honor might best be held in reserve for warriors of greater renown whose fealty would add luster to their cause, and the younger sons of great lords whose support they would need in the coming struggle, but the boy would not be moved. Duck will die for me if need be, he had said, and that's all I require in my Kingsguard. The Kingslayer was a warrior of great renown, and the son of a great lord as well. At least I convinced him to leave the other six slots open, else Duck might have six ducklings trailing after him, each more blindingly adequate than the last. Escort his grace to my solar, he commanded, at once. All right, well, you can kind of see who might be in charge of naming those other Kingsguard slots. John Connington, who is more concerned with the luster and the prestige of warriors of great renown as opposed to character. And by the way, this is the exact opposite of the criteria that Visenya Targaryen originally laid out for the Kingsguard, which specifically put the emphasis on loyalty above battle prowess or political prestige. John Connington is also obsessed with Rhaegar, whom he was in love with. That love and sense of devotion to Rhaegar has now morphed into a steely commitment to seat his son, quote-unquote, Phaegon, upon the Iron Throne, one which John Con is pressing forward with aggressively, despite the fact that he's carrying a highly communicable plague, grayscale. Or perhaps we can even say that his haste and recklessness is spurred on by his limited lifespan. And so, if Darkstar were to show up in King's Landing with Dawn in his hands, it's pretty easy to see why John Khan would want to name him to Phaegon's Kingsguard. Everyone knows that Rhaegar and Arthur Dane were BFFs, so who better to add visual and thematic legitimacy to Phaegon's claim to be Rhaegar's son and heir than a new Sword of the Morning? If Darkstar steals the sword Dawn, he'll essentially be stealing the title Sword of the Morning as well. And if the King and the power players in King's Landing want to go along with it, well, now that's the reality. So picture it now, fake Rhaegar's son on the Iron Throne, with fake Arthur Dane at his side, dressed all in white and wielding the famous sword Dawn. It'll certainly make an impressive, if false, bit of political theater. A false Dawn, if you will, which can only lead us further into darkness. One more lie for Daenerys, the Slayer of Lies, to slay when she comes to King's Landing. Now, there are ample narrative reasons to do it this way. Aryan Martell is seeking to become an ally of Phaegon, possibly, and by the time Darkstar shows up to King's Landing, Phaegon and Aryan could even be betrothed. Aryan, of course, included Darkstar in her plotting the first time around, and it's pretty heavily implied that they've slept with each other in the past. Ergo, throwing Darkstar back into the Aryan Phaegon plotline seems guaranteed to create political intrigue and drama, which is, of course, the lifeblood of all King's Landing plotlines. So as you can see, Martin has set up a little history between Darkstar and the Martells, and we still don't know what plans Darkstar might have to follow up on his attack of Marcella, or how those plans might interact with Doran's secret plans. So bringing him to King's Landing, where we 
we have both Arion and two Sand Snakes seems, again, like a move which will stir up some high drama and give the author a good chance to capitalize on the setup that he's done so far. Now, to me, Darkstar becoming part of Fagon's Kingsguard simply makes too much sense not to happen. But it doesn't actually need to happen for Darkstar to serve the simple function of getting Dawn out of Starfall. The main thing he needs to do is die, somewhere where Dawn will be picked up by folks who will get the sword to Jon. And although a King's Landing battle between the armies of Daenerys and Fagon certainly seems like a good fit for that, there are certainly other ways it could happen too. What I feel the most confident about is that Darkstar will steal Dawn, that he will eventually get what's coming to him, and that Dawn is almost certainly destined to be wielded by Jon Snow. As regular viewers of my channel will know, I've discussed the extensive foreshadowing for Jon to wield Dawn in the Dawn is the Original Ice videos, such as his scenes at the wall where his sword blade runs with pale morning light as if he were wielding a sword made of dawn light. I really like those quotes. But to close this essay, I'll simply make one point of foreshadowing. The last time that we heard about someone wielding Dawn in battle was Arthur Dane at the Tower of Joy, where Jon was born. Wave to baby John in the window, everyone. Hey, John, got your sword right here, buddy. So here's the parallel. When Arthur Dane died at the Tower of Joy, he was a Kingsguard Knight, defending Rhaegar's son with Dawn. Just as Darkstar could end up a Kingsguard Knight, defending Rhaegar's fake son with Dawn. I'm saying that Darkstar would essentially be stealing Dawn and then dying in battle so that Jon can wield it, and that would be a pretty close parallel to Arthur Dane being slain at the Tower of Joy, only to have Dawn find itself in the hands of a Stark. Ned Stark, the man who raised John as his son. If you liked that, there is much more John will wield Dawn foreshadowing in those Dawn is the Original Ice videos. But as you've seen today, these Tower of Joy parallels could turn out to be foreshadowing for the way it can come true. But we'll need Darkstar to make it work. An examination of the five-year gap and the effect it has on the roles of the Danes in this story also points to the idea of Dawn coming out of Starfall in time for the last battle against the others. But once again, Darkstar is the straw that stirs the drink. It's always darkest before the dawn, so just remember when you see Darkstar defiling the pale milk glass surface of that legendary blade with his greasy reflection, the silver lining is that he's really just serving it up for the real Sword of the Morning, Jon Snow, who does have a decent amount of Dane blood even assuming R plus L equals J is true. Which it is. Jon took a breath of the crisp morning air and allowed himself to hope. The eastern sky was pink near the horizon and pale gray higher up. The sword of the morning still hung in the south, the bright white star in its hilt blazing like a diamond in the dawn. Now in case any of you are perplexed at the lack of symbolic analysis in this video, his name is Darkstar, which implies a darkened sun, so of course he's going to steal Dawn. Aha! Well, that's because I'm going to do a separate video for that. Analyzing Darkstar's symbolism will bring us back to a lot of the topics from our recent videos about Night's King and Azor High and the others, since Darkstar is something like a corrupted warrior of light, so look out for that soon. To make sure you never miss a video or a live stream, remember that you now have to perform the magical YouTube triple click, red subscribe button, notification bell, and then select all notifications. Now let's say thank you to our patrons of the Starry Host.